Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jim Pinto for a special episode of Metal Workshop, and we're going to be talking about Metallica today. And to be completely honest, I don't even know 100% what the topic really is. I just know that Jim had some idea about James Hetfield's ear that he wanted to get off his chest. And so we're going to talk about the sound of Metallica, and I'm assuming some of some of Jim's complaints about it. Though I don't know, maybe it's not all complaints. Uh, Jim, why don't you why don't you leave? How funny would it be if I just said something along the lines of I really like Metallica <laughs> and I wish they'd do more music. Well that would have been I hope you can do better than ended. that because we're recording you, a whole other podcast just for this topic. You had set it up that I had this significant academician perspective on Metallica. I don't know what Jim's going to talk about. It's going to be wacky. <laughs> I like Metallica. Um, I think we were talking about it in the previous podcast about what makes them work, even though they're not all master musicians. And I think a lot of it has to do with James's ear for the things that he loves and what got the band to where it is. Um, I think Lars is actually a distractive force in the band. I don't think that I think uh, if you saw some kind of monster, the documentary, you can see him, uh, how he interacts with James. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that he helped. I think he's part of the reason St. Anger is one of the worst albums ever made. I think a lot uh, of people would agree with you on that front. Uh, uh, and I think if you go and you look at their catalog of work, their best material is their covers. They pick songs that you wouldn't think would sound good when they're turned into metal compositions. And their production value is so high that those songs end up sounding a little better. Okay. And I know that's, that's apocryphal to say, right? Because everybody loves the original Thin Lizzy uh, Whiskey in a Jar. Yep. Uh, and, and so on. I could pick a hundred songs that they've done. But those recordings also have all of their own faults because of the age of them mm -hmm. and the quality of the instruments that they're using and so on. And so to hear them reproduce, and the reason I'm bringing this up is they do a medley of three Merciful Fate songs. And I think that Metallica's ver Merciful Fate songs are better than Merciful Fate's versions because I don't have to hear Diamond's voice. <laughs> well, I, I th that's... see. Well, I don't know. I I need to listen to them back to back. Yeah, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we didn't do that before this podcast, so I'm not gonna no, no, I'm not gonna yeah, disagree yeah. with you there. Uh, though I I think the attraction to Merciful Fate is the King Diamond voice. So right, um, yeah. If uh, you're a drunk inebriate, yes, absolutely <laughs> guilty as any, charged. If you have yeah. any taste in music at all, I think I'm just being no, no. I, I I'm just totally being sure. I just we've covered this. I don't like his voice. But Merciful Fate is doing so many interesting things with riffs early they on are. Yeah. that they're obviously influencing Metallica. K uh, Diamond Head is obviously influencing Metallica. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these 70s, I don't know what you would want to call them, I guess just general rock bands, yeah. they're having a lot of influence on Metallica at an early age that their sound grows, Metallica's sound grows out of how precise Hetfield's ear is for what makes good music what makes good metal so even if he isn't classically trained or even trained at all his ear is producing is bringing in he's a good receptor of information 
and he's turning that out into something strong. I think, well, I think Cliff Burton played a big role too, because he was the one who had the most musical knowledge is my understanding. Right, right. Cool. But okay. I think more is like an advisory to, like he's the one that kind of taught them about harmonies and how those work. And, you know, but once somebody teaches you that, then you're the one that has, you know what I mean? It's like, it's one thing to be the guitar teacher, but, but ultimately Hetfield did seem to be the one that was driving the truck. And so right. I, I feel like uh, it's when you, it's like when you show a kid how to, how to do a particular technique and then they just start doing all this crazy stuff on their own with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, well, but I, oh, go ahead. No, go. So I was going to say, I feel like for me, the thing about Metallica that really makes it work is, is his ability to make master riffs. His riffs are just great. Um, riffs are not easy to come up with. And yeah. he's really good at just producing an endless supply of solid and inspired riffs. That yeah. combined with, um, uh, uh, Oh God! I just mentioned his name, and now it's escaping me for some reason. Um, Kirk Hammett. Kirk Hammett. Oh, Kirk Hammett. Uh, yeah. Uh, combined with his, he, again, he's not the greatest. He's a good guitar player. He's not bad. He's he's very good. But there are people that I might pick that are better than him from that yeah. genre of music. But I would listen to Kirk Hammett solos any day of the week over most other people's, simply because they're so memorable. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's a product of him just having a more inspired. Uh, solo performance. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it, so it's 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 very easy to become technically proficient soloing. It's not easy to say something surprising when you're soloing. Um, you know, so like so like the, the there are only you know a handful of guitarists that really stand out in that respect, and so I think he's one of them. But but again, I don't think the solos are the only thing that are. They're not the most important thing in Metallica. It's really sort of it's it's the riffs with those melodic lead harmonies that really right. uh, establish Metallica's sound in my mind. Um, so so yeah. So I don't. I thought I thought you were going to be very critical of. I thought you were going to say James Hetfield is tone deaf. So I'm surprised. No that, no 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 uh, no not at all. I I think I think they went astray. Obviously, mm, we've talked about that yep, before. Yep. The Black Album on is garbage. I like the new album. Uh, I don't remember the name of it now. Uh, Atlas Rise is such a good song from the new album. Um, and you can see them having fun again, which I don't think they were doing for a while. Uh, with I'm, with all that, all that, I would just call it dead space, right? With Load and Reload and Saint Anger and Magnetic Death or whatever all those albums' names are. Death Magnetic. Yeah. Death Magnetic was like a return to form, but like, I get, well, that was the one that Rick Rubin produced, right? death magnetic probably um it was it was i don't know i i i haven't given their their more recent albums a fair shake and i probably should so i probably shouldn't shoot my mouth off about them because i don't really have a strong opinion about their 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 last couple of albums but going from load to saint anger i i i just you know there's i don't have anything good to say really yeah Um, and for I mean, how many memorable songs have they had in the last eight albums, right? That's another thing to examine about that time period, is that's a lot of songs to write, and the only thing anybody remembers is nothing else matters? I mean, come on. Well, I don't know. They, I, I guess a lot of the songs that like I hear played on the radio again and again by them from that period, they are the covers, like Whiskey right. in the Jaro, and what's the, um, there's another song that they did. Uh, Turn the Page? 
Yeah, yeah. That yeah. You know, I hear those a lot. Sometimes I'll hear what was was it until it bleeds? Was that the name of the song or until it speaks? I can't until remember. it sleeps. Until it sleeps. Thank you. So yeah. until it sleeps, you'll sometimes hear, and yeah. you'll sometimes hear the sequels to Unforgiven. Right. Um, which I those are the only things worth listening to, in my opinion, on the on the load albums is the sequels yeah. to Unforgiven. Um, everything else I had no interest in. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've heard a St. Anger song in ages. Uh, so yeah, so I, I mean, their, their best material was definitely the stuff from Ride the Lightning to, uh, Injustice for All. Right, right. And, and and I think a lot of that is just because they're overproduced and because Lars doesn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And you can have a hundred different reasons for it. None of that takes away from how good they are live. Nothing takes away from the fact that James is really good at writing riffs. You're absolutely right. And his ear, what all that musical education, he's sort of the Quentin Tarantino of metal, if you think about it. Yeah. Because he absorbs so much music over the years. And so he can just pull something out of nowhere because he knows, okay, there's this song by, I don't know, by Foreigner from 1974 or by Aerosmith from night in the ruts, right? There's this song that nobody remembers. I can borrow this little piece here and then do these 10 things to it. And now it's new. Yep. Right? yep. I think there's, there's a huge advantage and uh, I'm nowhere. I'm not that kind of guy, uh, but I used to be when it came to games, when I was working at a game store, there really wasn't a game out there in any part of gaming that I didn't know about when I was working at a game store. And this was back in 91, 92. So there weren't that many games yet. You, I just have to ask you a question. Do you think that would be feasible now, <laughs> given no how way. many games no are way. coming out? There were 5,000 new board games last yeah. year. It's impossible. But having that, at that time, having that knowledge gave me a language where I could talk to just about anybody about any game. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what Hetfield was able to do for so many decades with music was... I can talk about any of this stuff, even if I don't have the vocabulary to explain it. I can tell you, oh, there's this thrumming rhythm that I love on this song, and I want to borrow that. Cliff, can you play? Can you play a bass line that emulates that so mm-hmm. we can throw down a track? And that's that is that is, I think, the quintessential skill when you want to compose something from nothing is to be able to just get everybody going and say, you try this, you try this, you try this. Let's just see where this heads. And it's what makes Tool great. It's what made Priest great in the back in the day when uh, Glenn Tipton was doing a, a lot of composition for the band. He would just make stuff up and just see where it went. Well, and I mean, I think um, with Metallica, that's, I don't know, that period, that's kind of what they do. You know, they, they, yeah. they just kind of, it, it's very exploratory. Um, so, so that, 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 that makes sense to me. Um, but what did you, you had said something about Ulrich being, I forget what term you used, but you, you, you definitely singled him out as, is, is not helpful to the band. Yeah. I Um, think he's distractive. I think he's obsessed with, he uses the term stock in the, in the documentary a lot when he's hearing something he doesn't like that riff sounds stock to me. Yeah. And that's his way of being dismissive without sounding dismissive. Yeah. And I think there's something okay with 
a stock riff if the rest of the song is doing other things. Putting all the weight on Hetfield to constantly have to invent something out of the box for every fucking song is, I don't know, it's a bit entitled, right? If you listen, we talked about this before, you listen to Tool, and every instrument has its place in the band, Yep. right? The bass gets subsumed in Metallica. You can barely hear a bass line in most of their songs because the riffs are so dominant. And Lars's drumming is so mediocre that he can't carry... He's not the anchor to any of those songs. He can't carry the band. So for Lars to make those demands and then not bring nothing to the fore is... I think it holds the band back even more from what they could be. You wouldn't have had Load and Reload and Butthole Majiver and, you know, Death Magnetic and whatever these band... Whatever these albums are called, these things wouldn't have happened to them if Lars hadn't been constantly saying... No more, different, expand. Do, no, but, that's but too do we? Stop. Just to be fair, do we know that that's true? Do we know, like, we, we like we I see it in, in some nothing, kind of nothing about what I'm saying is possible is, is is verified, right? Okay, so it's I'm specs, just going off yeah. what I understand about them. I mean, I definitely think you see that in the the documentary, some kind of monster, um, right? How far that projects back, I don't know. But also, things James Hetfield has said suggests to me that a lot of the changes that we saw in the 90s were a product of Lars and Kirk Hammett both kind of wanting to get more artsy, maybe. Um, And so I could certainly... I don't... James Hetfield does not seem like the kind of guy that would have chosen to go in the direction of Load. Do you know what I mean? I I, I feel like that is more explained by other members of the band or Bob Rock or something. Um, But... I don't know. Ultimately, uh, I'm sort of conflicted on on Lars Ulrich because I mean, his drumming isn't isn't the best, right? Like that's I, I, you know, if you talk to any drummer, a lot of them will complain about Lars Ulrich. On the other hand, I never noticed the bad drumming until I had people point it out to me. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't something that it, it didn't leap out at me about Metallica uh, until I learned more about drumming, um, and so. I, I don't know that I feel like I can I can be judgmental about it since I was perfectly happy to enjoy it until until somebody said to me, you know, this isn't you know, the, the, there there are problems here. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I feel like if I have to be educated in order to understand there's a problem with the music, I'm probably being disingenuous if I say that I find it to be a problem. Um, but but still, I I. I can sort of see the things that you're saying about Ulrich. Um, yeah. He's like, if anybody hasn't seen the documentary, like everything that you said, a hundred percent, I kind of, I agree with. Um, he, especially the thing about stock. It's not, yeah. so the stock thing, it's not just that he's being dismissive. It's that I don't think he even really, I don't even think that was his real opinion. Do you know what I mean? I think he was just mad and, and he was just saying that to be irritating. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, I, 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 so I feel like if he was saying it because it was genuinely too stock, then that would be fine. But I think something that some like, like, if you're ever in a band, sometimes this thing arises where when people get mad at each other, they reciprocate. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so that felt like it was a reciprocal exchange. It wasn't. I don't think that was real musical criticism he was giving there. Um, and and maybe 
maybe that dysfunction is part of why that album just sounds so strange to me. Um, and also the, the, the lack of solos, just the, yeah, you can't have a Metallica album without solos. on. Yeah. I don't, how do you, you have Kirk Hammett on the squad. How do you take away his, I mean, that's essentially his Mjolnir hammer, right? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to rip out a great, solo now oh no we're not doing solos on this album we it's possible it's possible we discussed this in the first episode but that was so long i don't remember um but i just think it's the most tragic thing to see in the in the, there's a couple of things that are really heartbreaking in that documentary and for me the biggest one is watching kurt Kamet give in to uh, to the pressure to not have solos on the album where he starts out saying, this is bullshit. We should have solos. Let's just do it like we've always done. This is total bullshit. We're just trying to sound like all the stuff that's out now. And the album is going to sound dated. And he was 100% correct. Yeah. And then, I don't know how much time elapses, but later in the documentary, he's like, well, okay, if as long as we're doing it for the songs, I'm okay with not having... He just kind of capitulates because that's yeah. his personality, I think. He, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. You know? yeah. But it's heartbreaking because... It's honestly, it's the only thing that could have really saved the album is having some good solos on there. And it's, it's, it ultimately a decision not to have solos is the thing that just relegates that album to just being unlistenable in my opinion. Um, there's a, a movie that they made. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, through the Never. Have you seen the movie? Through I, the Never? I have not. I was very torn on whether I was going to see that. I ultimately decided not to because it's really good. Is it okay? I, see, yeah. I, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's about as metal a thing you can think somebody could make. It's there's a story going on that doesn't make any sense. This guy's trying to deliver. I don't even remember what he's trying to deliver. I think he's just trying to deliver a, a van with some equipment to Metallica, who's setting up to play at a concert. And it's a concert at the Staples Center, and it's a an oval-shaped uh, stage that they're on. And they can face the, the audience in any direction. There's microphones everywhere. Mm-hmm. And all this, and they're playing. They play eight different songs, I think. And they're all great songs, and they're great performances. And wacky stuff starts happening at the concert. So it's half concert footage and half movie. Okay. And it's actually really, really good. And it doesn't make a lick of sense, and it doesn't have to, because it's just a bunch of metal shit that happens. I uh, I haven't seen it, but my see when I saw the commercials for it, I I assumed it was aimed at like the new generation, so I didn't think it was aimed at me, and I just didn't go see no. it. No, 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 no. It's it's all the classics. It's all the songs okay. you know. All right, maybe uh, I'll, I'll. Does it matter? Because wasn't that like an IMAX type deal or something? Or does it? Matter? I saw it on Netflix. So oh, I don't know what it was like on IMAX. I okay. saw it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there. I don't think it is. But, but by the way, this is not related. But I think I gave you homework at one point that you did, and you and we never talked about it. Did you watch the movie The Dirt? Right? Did you would? Yeah, yeah, I watched it before we even started talking. Yeah. So I, I just because I don't want you to waste that two hours. What was your opinion of that movie? I know that it's not on topic, but I, we're talking about Netflix and all this. So. Um, Every time you do this, I have to do these long intros about what I think of a thing before I can give you. <laughs> you don't the have answer. to give the big intro. You can just dive right into it. It's it's not essential, right? Well, okay. It, is, it suffers from everything that Netflix makes, which is it's mediocre. Uh-huh. Everything they do is so milk toast because they don't want to offend anybody mm-hmm. that they neither make it cautionary enough nor do they make it 
uh, explicit enough. Okay. That band did a lot of fucked up shit. If you read the book, you know that they did some stuff that did not make it into that movie. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. Of stuff. Yep. Uh, Slash and the other guitar player from Guns N' Roses were with Nikki Six when he overdosed. You can see that in the movie, though. You can see Slash on the couch. Sort of, yeah. But they're the they're the ones that got him to the hospital, yeah. right? And that they just make it seem like it was a random phone call. And yeah. boy, is he lucky. And uh, granted, he was right out as soon as he was alive again. He did go right back out on the streets and try to score. That's in the book. Yeah, yeah. And that's in the movie, uh, too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. in the movie. And I thought that that was great. But they were all horrible people during those oh, years. Yeah. And they try to make us sympathetic. And I didn't like that part about it at all. Yeah, I so so my feeling, I, I, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on some things, but I'm going to agree with you on some other things. Um, but I think this is an interesting choice because I uh, one question I want to ask you when you watch when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, do you put more priority on the critic score or on the audience score? I don't go to Rotten Tomatoes. OK, if you did, if you did, I would probably on the critics score to be honest because okay. i think most people are stupid no and that's fair that's i think <laughs> i i suspect I mean, that's your personality like that's right that's, right so that's fair i would if i'm being honest i would probably favor the audience score you know what i mean right. and so um so i think that's some of the divisions that we have around music is probably a product of different approaches to that and here my feeling with this movie number one i do think it's kind of a mediocre movie in a lot of respects um, yeah, but I, I found it to be a very entertaining movie. Um, one part, one thing that you said that I would disagree with, I do think they were willing to be offensive with this film. Like they have the opening scene with the, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit crude here, but they have a squirting scene in the yeah, yeah. opening sequence. That's definitely not pablum. Um, so I think they were right. willing to be offensive. It's just that they weren't willing to be offensive towards the band. If that makes sense. Do you know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they weren't, it's, it, it almost celebrated that stuff. And if you're going to celebrate it, celebrate it in a way that everybody looks like the trash that they are, mm-hmm. as opposed to making them heroes. Yeah. For, yeah. I mean, how many girlfriends of other guys did they fuck in bathrooms throughout that movie? Well, I don't and think Vince like, Neil. Oh, right. Good job, guys. I think Vince Neil came out looking kind of bad from those scenes because. And he... then his daughter dies and yeah. he becomes sympathetic again. Yeah. So, Which, yeah. But that's true. His daughter did yeah. die, right? This no, like, she did. Absolutely. And it's yeah, horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. But they kind of make it look like the car thing was an accident. And it wasn't. He was doing donuts. Right? Oh, I see what you're like saying. I see. Shithead yeah, the in, in that scene. And they make it look like, oh, I accidentally killed this guy. I guess nope. I guess I I guess from my point of view on that scene, I was figuring they showed him get in the car drunk. Um so I figured that was condemnable already. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't yeah. need to yeah, yeah, yeah. uh but I watched the movie twice, and what I did notice is it's not entirely clear that he's drunk. I just knew he was drunk because I knew the story. And so I think you could watch that scene and not realize how drunk he's supposed to be. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I do agree with you. I think the most egregious one in terms of just justifying behavior is when they show Tommy Lee's domestic abuse stuff. And yeah. the way that they present it is is very sympathetic to Tommy Lee. Like, the wo- the woman says the one thing... That yes. almost makes it okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's uh you know you, you just don't say that about somebody's mother and not get a yeah. strong reaction. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, uh, and then the look on his face is 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 he's horrified by his own behavior. So it's sort of a sympathetic. 
And I don't know, maybe he was horrified when those sort of things happen. But I feel like with Tommy Lee, that thing cropped up a bit with him. Um, right. But then his affair with Janine, the porn star, mm-hmm. is just a, on a tabloid cover. No, right. that's true. But I think that was just all efficiency of we only have so much time to tell yeah, the story. Yeah, maybe. But um, why, yeah. Because they included that, it. It's just not... that you kind of had to know about it to really register that. I mean, you knew that he had an affair of some kind. Like, you knew something happened. Do you know what I mean? Right. But, like, um, but, but the, uh, I, I think Nikki Six didn't come out looking so good, though, in this movie. Um, I think Nikki Six has been the most honest about yeah. what their days were like. He's the one you can rely on for the truth. Yeah, because he looked pretty bad. Like not only just in terms of like the behavior, but like in terms of his personality. You know, he came across really like uh, I don't know, like a bitchy Angelina Jolie. You know what I mean? He was he was very like I wouldn't want a friend that was like that that dis what's the word just emotionally not there for you do you know what i mean just like he he, he's just absorbed by his own pain and has all these problems dealing with normal human things like being the best man at a wedding and just basic stuff uh so i i think he i think he came off just not looking like a likable person in the movie and and he's oddly enough, if you listen to them talking now, Nikki Six is probably the most like likable person in yeah, the group. Yeah, absolutely, he absolutely uh, is. Yeah. And so, but the thing I liked about the movie is I liked there were moments when they broke the wall between the audience and the film. You know, they break right. they break the fourth wall, and there's a scene where he's like, "This isn't how it happened, but we're just gonna go with it because we like it." Do you know what I mean? I yeah, kind yeah. of enjoyed that. You know, I, I, sure. I, I, I like that. I also really like the scene with Ozzy Osbourne. Um, yeah. I thought the guy they got to play Ozzy was just, he didn't, he was uglier than Ozzy, but he embodied Ozzy. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so I, yeah. I, and everybody's heard that story. So it was kind of nice yeah. to see. And that's uh, a horrifying story. And to see it done. Yeah. On. Yeah. Wow. Um, um I, I, the, I know they compressed and truncated a lot because of timing. Um, the they didn't want Vince back. That so that whole scene where they're right. asking him to come back because he's their buddy. It took years to get to that point after the the record company begged them to bring Vince back because yeah. the new singer wasn't working out. Um, yeah. but they originally didn't want Vince back because of his attitude. No, and and this is exactly. I mean, this has got a lot of the stuff that Bohemian Rhapsody had, where it's not a movie that you're. It's not a historically based film right it's there's a lot of stuff in there that's true but they're they're telling a story for the sake of entertainment so you you kind of have to know that going in or you might be misled um it, the film actually reminded me a lot of bohemian rhapsody for that reason there's there 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 are certain story structures that are present in biopics especially like the musical biopics yeah. and yeah. they were clearly doing that here you know they were clearly doing that in bohemian rhapsody um I'm okay with those, but, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I like the fact that this movie pointed out when they were deviating from reality because right. the audience knew. Um, but, but yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff in the movie. Even when it's true, it's presented in a way that's dis- dishonest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we agree on, I think, a lot about this film. We agree on a lot. I just, I like the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had fun with it because it's Motley Crue and they're just degenerates, but. 
and it was the time period, right? It, if yeah. if a band did that today, they'd be, all be in jail, and their 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 yeah. reputations would be destroyed. True. You could you could not get away with that today. Um, I just wish that it had been more of a cautionary tale, or at the very least, that it said, "the This is a story of four really despicable guys." And you're okay. about to see just how bad, right? If it, it opens something, at least with that. But do you need, uh, like, do you need them to tell you that? Like, I don't need them to tell me that. But if there's a 14 year old <laughs> kid watching that movie, I would like him to at least know, hey, this is not a celebration. I, I mean, remember the show, the movie Kids. Um, I, yeah, I remember the movie. That's a that that movie's disturbing in a lot of lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, and it was oh. disturbing because it almost celebrated their behavior. Yeah, and those. Those were barely humans. The people in that story barely passed for what we consider a basic functioning human. And to celebrate it made me feel really dirty. I see what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. My, I guess my feeling on this is I don't – I want people to be able to make that decision. I don't, I don't feel like – I think it's – what's the word? I feel like it's a little bit dangerous if we expect – media to do that job for us like we should yeah i want people to go and equip to do that themselves do you know what i mean because i want people to be have the freedom to make movies that where they're not trying to think of oh well how what about the children do you know what i mean like because my mind immediately goes to no my my mind immediately goes to like punky brewster and all those 80s tv shows that I grew up on. You might have been older than I was, but I remember a very special episode. Yeah, awesome. there were so many very special episodes, and what the very special episode produced was a backlash, right? Yeah, we we we. I was reared on anti-drug, anti, I don't know, anti everything. You know, just like be a good person all the time. And the '90s were all about rebelling against yeah. this very special episode. Uh, maybe maybe this generation's different. Maybe they were more receptive. To, it, it is very it is possible right I'm, I'm obviously going with my lens of i grew up when kids were uh keep being impacted by media a lot i grew, hmm. i was one of the first generation latchkey kids right okay uh, so i came home and i watched television and television raised raised me right i learned a lot yep. from mr rogers i learned a lot from sesame street and okay. at a very young age i hate and, mr rogers by the way i just have to say i I could oh never God. get into Mr. Rogers two, as a kid. Two episodes in a row, I just have to distance myself from you. I do not know <laughs> this guy. I picked him up at a bus station. I I shaved an ape. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm not even that well shaven. Um, <laughs> they can't see you anyway, yeah. right? This is all. No, no, they can't audio. see me. They can't see me. But but yeah. you can see me, so you know. Yeah. Um, um, no, I I get your point. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a, a parental guidance and I don't believe in censorship at all. I think that if you're going to tell a story about something that really happened, you have an obligation to be honest. Okay. And there was some honesty missing from it. I think it, in general, these kind of movies always suck anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think the Johnny Cash or the Ray Charles movies were very good um, because they try so hard to get every single detail in there. Yeah. We can't miss anything. And then they lose the narrative thread. And then you get something like, the dirt where they get the narrative thread and it flows, but then it's missing key details. Yeah. So there's a God, but, that's, be happy the, but that's the, that's the, you know, the dilemma is like, how do you, how do you do that without, because if you, if you, if you, if like his history is my subject, right? Like I, history's all about, you know, 
following all the details and telling telling the truth and and analyzing the truth but it's right. it's not a good story do you know what i mean it's 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 it, it could be an engaging story but what you end up with is game of thrones not um you know not not something a little bit more uh clean and fits into an hour and a half you know um so i think uh i don't know i i I almost feel like so in history, the big thing to use is footnotes, right? That's how that's 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 sort of how you establish. This is where I got this idea from. I right. wish there was a way for movies like this to do footnotes while you're watching them. Um, there, well, there is. They're talking to the screen. Have you seen the Big Short? We're getting way off of metal. Now. I haven't seen but the I, Big Short. No, it Big Short does what the Dirt did mm-hmm. with the people talking to the audience and saying this isn't what really happened, but mm-hmm. we're going to go with it for time. Um, and it does it so much better. That movie, yeah. I've watched it about 20 times now. It's it's my go-to movie when I'm okay. it's late at night. I want something in the background. Uh, I absolutely love it. And I think there's something to be said for historical context. Mm-hmm. You can't just present the facts as they are. You have to, at the very least, say, these are the things, these things are this, and this is why yeah. they matter. And that's why I like them breaking that wall in this movie. Uh, though I haven't seen the movie you're talking about. So, you know, maybe if I saw that, it would be even more appealing to me. But I thought I, I found it really striking and clever when I saw it because it it gave the film permission to just kind of do the biopic thing. But it made it very clear, you know, like, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, um, even though they only did it one or two times. It, it established it for the whole movie. Um, right. And so, so, so yeah, so I mean, I, but I guess that is footnoting when you think about right. it. So at um, the end of the day, I still enjoyed it. So I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it as much as it sounds like I'm poo-pooing it. It's just, but, but you would have liked to have seen a more, I want to see a tonal shift in one direction mm-hmm. or the other. I don't want to see, and Netflix does this all the time with, with taking the easy road, uh, the highway man, perfect example, right? They tried to make Bonnie and Clyde out to be horrible villains. Mm-hmm. Um, although they did show the fandom, which I thought was fantastic, but they didn't show you how horrible those those rangers were, those two Texas rangers that were hunting them. Well, and that, I haven't seen the Netflix um, the Netflix show, so okay. Well, they again they take this middle of the road milk toast approach, and the guy that's hunting them, played by Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. he was an absolutely despicable human being. Okay. He was he was a union buster. He was on the side of big oil companies. He, he hurt innocent people in his rise to fame. And uh, he, I mean, he killed people without violating their constitutional rights, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all well-documented if you research him. Um, and none of that's in the movie. They make him out to be a hero. I mean, that's, again, that's one of the things with history, especially. I think that's, it's really hard to to do history well in a medium like a tv show or a film um i i'm always conflicted about that uh and i know we're getting way off topic when i first <laughs> no no i, I might I, I, know, I might have mentioned this before but do you remember the film gladiator with russell crowe yeah when that came out i was super into marcus aurelius i was a marcus aurelius fanboy uh i was very into rome and i knew everything about I, that you know that period of Rome. I know everything about Marcus Aurelius. I had read the Meditations four or five times. I had written two papers on it, and um, 
I couldn't enjoy that movie at all because of that. Do you know what I mean? I, I, and I, and I had that experience a lot with historical movies, especially the more I knew about the topic. And I just made a conscious decision at one point that like, I'm either going to, you know, going to have to stop watching movies set in history, or I'm going to need to learn how to separate these two things and, (laughs) and just accept that movies can't match a history book. Uh, that they're trying to do something else. And so when I watch historical movies, I tend to be very lenient with my, um, my, 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 my reception to them and my, my criticism, because it's, so if I'm writing a history book, I can give you the, the different arguments that are going on about who a person was, right? Like I can say, there's this guy, uh, that, you know, that was going after Bonnie and Clyde. And here's, Here's sort of the pro category. Here's the con category. It's really hard to do that in a movie, right? You have to give one or the other. And uh, and sometimes the truth might not be the best fit for making a dramatic story. So I sort of understand the difficulty that they're, that they're in when they make a movie like that. That, you know, the, every decision sort of cascades and the truth is going to be the first thing that gets pushed to the side. Um, so, so again, I, I don't really know where I was going with this, but I think, uh, no, I get your point. I actually yeah. don't. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, uh, but in terms of Netflix content, just to kind of slowly roll us back to the Metallica topic, eventually, um, I was, I was unaware that they had this tendency because I haven't been watching Netflix a lot lately. So, you, but you, so it sounds yeah. like what you're saying is they've been, a lot of their content is very middle of the road now and they're trying to avoid not offending people on either, on either side of the aisle maybe. Or... They, when they first started their own content, there were four shows and they were all fantastic. And I remember that started the barrel rolling on this. And now they produce so much it's incredible. And they have these obscure rules for what can get made and how long everything needs to be. And they're overly sanitizing things. And the worst part is they're making things overly long. Yeah. Things that don't need to be long. Uh, Nobody cares how many episodes are in a daredevil season, right? It, people are going to tune in and they're going to buy more Netflix to watch daredevil. If daredevil's good. And yet they insist on doing 13 episodes an hour long each. You have the ability as Netflix to break that model and do four episodes of two hours each, if that's what you wanted to do, and make a more concise story. And they end up forcing these directors and these bad writing teams to come up with more content than really makes sense for that season. And it completely kills the tone of all these shows. I think Jessica Jones season two is just the worst thing I've ever watched on Netflix. It is so bad. Yeah. I, so I, have, bad. I have not been keeping up on this. I, I used to watch a lot of their documentaries. I liked when yeah. we were talking about the twisted sister documentary and stuff like yeah, that. that. I liked all fantastic. that content. Yeah. Um, this was Man, the... this good stuff. I'm not yeah. trying to, to lambast the entire thing. I'm just saying that they have, they have a, a rule system for making stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make any sense. Doesn't jive with anything creative I've ever heard. I mean, this was this was the first <clears throat> thing that lured me back, and so I didn't yeah. really have any sense of the pattern that you're talking about because I hadn't been viewing their material. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I I can kind of see what you're talking about. Um, but I don't know. But again, I, in terms of um, in terms of uh, 
you know, getting back into the sort of the Metallica topic, uh, because we've been going on for like 40 minutes now. Uh, is there, I just want to make sure, do we address everything about the Hetfield ear? And yeah, I think we did. I think anything else at this point is gilding the lily. We've, okay. we've covered it. Yeah. We've, we've covered it all today. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll end it here. And, uh, and, and, and I guess the, 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 the overview of this episode is we've discussed, we've discussed Metallica, we've discussed Motley Crue, and we've discussed Netflix. That's sort of the, you know, uh, and I believe That'll some be kind of monster is up on, title. well, uh, some kind of monster is up on Netflix right now, isn't it? Yeah, I was when I watched it. I don't know if it still is. Yeah, they move stuff quickly. It could have gone off already. And they're raising our, our, our fees too, uh, on top of it all. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got a notification that my fees are going up and, and they, they explained why, but that doesn't, that doesn't, um, that doesn't soften the blow at all. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't know, maybe go out, check, check out, uh, the Motley Crue movie, check out, um, some kind of monster if it's still up there, if you have Netflix and until next time we will talk to you later. Bye.